this podcast, Dave Ulrich talks about the future of HR. How could companies stay sane in the age of disruption? So stay tuned. Welcome everyone to Jobs of the Future podcast. Uh, today we have with us an amazing guest, guest Dave Ulrich. Um, if you think about jobs of future, you can't miss future of HR. And he is the de facto conversationalist and industry observer and the leader uh, in that space. And here goes his bio, which is I'm, I'm sure you would you would really be fascinated with. So he's ranked as number one management guru by Business Week, profiled by Fast Company as one of the world's top 110 creative people in business, a top five coach in Forbes, and recognized on Thinker 50 Hall of Fame as one of the world's leading business thinkers. Dave Ulrich has a passion for ideas with impact. In his writing, teaching, and consulting, he continuously seeks new ideas that tackle some of the world's thorniest and long- longest standing challenges. His best-selling books and popular speeches uh, inspired the corporate and academic uh, agenda. Dave has co-authored over 30 books and 200 articles that have shaped three fields, organization, leadership, and human resources. He has spoken to a large audience in 88 countries, performed workshops for over half of, half of Fortune 200, and coached successful business leaders. He is co-founder of RBL Group, um, a consulting firm that increases business results through leadership, organization, and human resource. He gives back to the professions and others, having worked as editor of human resource management for 10 years, being a trustee and advisor to universities and other professional groups, and serving on the Herman Miller board for 15 years. He is known for continually learning, turning complex ideas into simple solutions, and creating real value to those he works with. So with that, Dave, fascinating to have you on board and sharing your thoughts with our viewers and listeners. Vishal, what a delight to join you today. I uh, I wish I could, uh, I should lower expectations by showing my picture when I'm not feeling very good. That would just reduce all expectations, but you're kind and uh, I look forward to a stimulating conversation where we can learn from each other. I think it's it, it's it's fascinating. So I think yours is one of those cases when I was I was trying I was reaching you. I said, hey, maybe would he be kind enough to respond to such a spam-looking email? Because I really want you to have uh, uh, share your insights. And you were like super kind to to jump on board. As a start, why don't we walk uh, walk through your journey? Uh, and I think this is I I barely did a justice to to your 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 so stretched out and experienced background. So why don't you walk us through your journey so far? <laughs> I was born many, many years ago. No, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I fell into the field of organization somewhat by default. I uh, was in the university, then this is decades ago, and then I'll move much faster. I was on my way to law school, which had been something I'd been passionate about. I took a course in organization behavior, OB, as it was called. And the professor said, show me what you've learned. There's no papers required. Show me what you've learned. And for some reason, Professor Ritchie, Bonner Ritchie, who continues to this day to be a mentor, triggered my imagination. And I started writing essays. I, uh, I was majoring in English, so I'd write an essay, Beowulf, the ideal organization man, the sources of power in paradise lost. And I, I cheated. I confess this. I turned him into my English professor and Bonner, my OB professor. My English professor said, this is wacko. And Bonner said, keep doing it. And he just stimulated thinking. I ended up writing 15, 10 to 15 page papers. And he called me, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to law school. And he said, oh, don't waste your time. And um, I have a passion. And my wife says I have OCD. She's a psychologist. It's called organization compulsive disorder. For the last four decades now, I study organizations. I think about them, I wake up at night contemplating, how do you create organizations that have value? And I'm a believer that the way we behave in organizations creates value for people, it creates value for the communities, it creates value for customers, and I'm passionate about shaping and building organizations. So got a PhD, have taught at Michigan, a privilege to be a professor at the University of Michigan, doing almost exclusively now executive programs. And uh, and visiting and studying organizations. 
Interesting. And and what's what is RBL uh, Group about? If you can walk us through that. You bet. Um, the good news and bad news is people sometimes say, "Boy, those are great ideas. Are they going to have any impact?" And mm-hmm. and uh, I love the ideas and I love the impact of ideas. So I formed with Norm Smallwood about twenty years ago. RBL is the title of our first book. We've done about eight or nine books together called Results-Based Leadership, RBL. Mm. And it's a consulting firm that basically turns ideas into practice. And uh, we have, it's a, it's a boutique consulting firm and about 50 people who, uh, who are around the world really trying to shape practice of these ideas. It's a delight to work with them. Interesting, interesting. So one thing that I observed that so you have extensive research experience in organizational behavior, right? And if uh, and you have a background in that and then right now, if, if you see uh, the ecosystem today, there's disruption happening all around the world. How should businesses stay sane in, in, in this in this when, when one of the strongest stability element is the change that that's, that's happening right now? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Well, one of the, uh, I think one of the things that we've learned is every organization has to exist in the environment in which it lives. And if the organization can't change as fast as the environment around it, it goes, it goes broke. And there are legacy companies that you could list, uh, uh, Kodak. I mean, you could just start listing companies that don't exist anymore because they miss the opportunity in the environment. And so one of the things that we talk a lot about is, can you create inside your organization the set of capabilities that allow you to respond and anticipate the outside world so that, so that you outlive that external world? And, um, and that's not simple to do. It's doable in a simple way, but it requires a, a real ability to appreciate and anticipate what the external environment is going to look like. Interesting. And from your vantage point, like you, um, you consulted, um, you have helped a lot of uh, organization with their HR difficulties. What are some of the, some of the common challenges that you are seeing uh, happening on the HR end of, uh, of these organizations that, that you help with or you work with? I think there's four things we've tried to do with HR one is, uh, before I go to the four, the logic is that HR creates value, that HR is not about HR. It's not about the HR practice or the appraisal or the compensation or the training. It's about what HR does to help win in the marketplace. So HR is not about HR. It's about winning in the marketplace. And there are four things that we've seen that are required. One is an alignment with not just the strategy of the business, but the customers and investors outside. So when I hire people, I shouldn't be hiring to fill a job. That's absolutely silly. I shouldn't be hiring just to deliver strategy. I should be hiring to anticipate and meet customer needs in the future. A second is integration, that HR is not about a single activity. It's not hire, then pay, then train. It's putting those in an integrated solution again, to solve customer, investor, and community problems. Number th- So it's alignment, integration, and third is innovation. That one of the challenges in HR and even in other fields, uh, mm. you're in the data management field, I'm assuming innovation is a requirement there as well, that mm. I think there's a half-life of knowledge about how we assess people and what we look for in people. And the fourth one, so you got alignment, integration, innovation, is simplicity. I really believe that we live in a world of complexity and sometimes in order to get through complexity, we have to discover simplicity. Um, my PhD in many, many years ago is in numerical taxonomy. So it's actually the science of order. And how do you find through empirical statistics, how do you find simple patterns in complex data? I think that's a necessity for HR today as well as other businesses. So four things to help deliver that value. Alignment with outside customers, integration with different pieces of HR connected to each other, innovation and, and new stuff, fresh ideas, trying new things, and then simplicity. Interesting. Very well said, um, Dave. So from your experience, um, when, you, when you deal with these HR um, communities all around, what, what is something that 
that gives you a pleasant surprise that oh they get it i don't expect them to get it so what are some of the things that somehow hr community gets it i'd love to ask people a question hmm. what's the biggest challenge in your job today hmm. and if it's an hr person or it could be an it person if their answer is a technical part of hr for example, in the HR space, the answer could be, well, I'm working on a training program or I'm working on a hiring program or a promotion program. They didn't get it. Mm. They didn't get it. The biggest challenge of anybody's job today is to win in a tough marketplace. Another question I love to ask, who are your customers? And if the HR answer is, well, my customers are the employees of the company. Wrong, wrong, mm. wrong. Your customers are the customers of the company. Um, mm. Quick anecdote. We do a uh, our consulting firm does a, a two-week or 11-day intensive HR program. And companies send teams of five, and, and we've done 34 of these called HR Learning Partnership. And they're really powerful around HR in the future and how you do it and how you make it happen. Last year, we had a program that was just a wonderful program, a wonderful experience. One of the participants went home, called me two weeks later, and he said, your program failed me. Mm. And I said, oh, my goodness teach me. What did I do? He said, well, I came home and did a survey of my line managers to find out what I should be doing in HR. And I said, what went wrong? And he said, they didn't like the survey. They didn't answer. They just weren't interested. Well, what did you survey? And he said, I listed 15 HR practices, uh, hiring, changing culture, executive comp, total rewards, uh, promotion patterns, development programs, coaching. And I asked them which ones they wanted more of. And they didn't care. And he said, your program was a failure. And I said, oh my goodness, we failed you. You did the wrong survey. Mm -hmm. Line managers don't care about HR. What they care about is their business. And our job in HR should be to survey, what is it gonna take for you to win in the marketplace? Is it product innovation? Is it customer intimacy? Is it cost? What is it you have to do better to win? And then our job in HR is to bring the solutions to you aligned, integrated, innovative, and simple. Mm. And I said, we failed you. By the way, I didn't give them a refund on the program. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I, but I said, we did not communicate that well enough. HR is not about HR. And I think the same is true in IT. Mm. I see a lot of IT folks getting really excited about, oh, I got the greatest app in the world, or I got the greatest data warehouse. Well, IT is an enabler. HR also, it's an enabler. It enables business success. That's the approach we take. Interesting. I, actually, so I, I, I remember putting together a panel around technologies that, that businesses use to shape, shape their future. And I invited someone from marketing. They come up with a marketing sort of uh, technology and data stack. I invited sort of someone from finance, someone from ops end. And interestingly, when I, um, I, I said HR, talent is one of the, one of the areas I should, I should focus on. And they say, I don't know what I bring uh, to the table. I don't know that my IT guy gave me the tool that I'm working on. So that that sort of uh, pointed me to a clear sort of a, a hole that HR is, so they still rely on someone for tech, for sort of these tech uh, as, as, as a competitive edge. What What is your vantage point? Like is the HR, to, and this is like two years back. So is the HR getting savvier uh, in dealing with data and sort of bringing this, this set of data to the table? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Boy, do I hope so. And uh, mm. I hope that the people you talk to who don't have anything to bring to that table go work in finance. Mm. Uh, mm. Because... We don't need those people in HR. Uh, HR is about making business better. That's mm. it. And mm. and I think it's not about technology. Technology is simply a, a set of tools that provide data. Digital and the digital data that we get around talent and organization and leadership should provide insights that enable us to be more successful in talent. The good HR people today would say, where do you find talent? How do you train talent? How do you develop talent? so that we win in the marketplace. And I think people in HR are starting to recognize that this is a, uh, it's an art as well as a science. Um, we can talk about that. I think it's not just 
the structured data and the statistics data. I think there's also unstructured data that HR can access. But but HR should bring great value to those to those digital business tra- business strategies. And I'm seeing good HR people obviously doing that. Interesting. I think so. You raise a very interesting point, by the way. So I I, I talk a lot about um, uh, art of doing business and science of doing business, right? And and art of doing business has been an HR's primary job is to protect and, and preserve the culture as well, right? So uh, as the companies are growing, and with that being said, uh, this we see a lot of disruption happening on towards the science of doing business nowadays, and and HR sitting on the on the art side, like that's that's another challenge that it's it's a bridge that they have to they have to pro- hopefully cross. So they can bring technology and 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 so what what has been your observation uh, from from your vantage point? Uh, Again, if I had three circles, hmm. the top circle is the environment in which we work, the hmm. the pace of change, the the rapid technology, social, economic, political changes that change customer and investor expectations. The second circle is information. Because in that world, information is a key to success. The third circle, and I'm going to come back to that, is technology. Again, I think technology is not the information. It's the enabler to access the information through the cloud or through apps or through other technology. That second circle of information for me is so critical that Mm -hmm. when we make decisions to win in the marketplace based on information, we're going to be much more successful. Now, let me go deep into that second circle of information. I think there's two kinds, it's not me, smarter Mm. people than me have said this. There's two kinds of information. One is what's called structured information. That's more the science of data. It's Mm. in a spreadsheet. You can do a statistic and I love statistics. I love data. Uh, The last data set we had had 30,000 people in it, over 30,000 people. And with that kind of data, you can do analysis and get very refined methods and statistics. But what we found and others have found is statistical data in spreadsheets is only about 20% of the Mm. information in the world. 80% of the information is unstructured data. Mm. It's what we observe. It's what we see. Uh, I go to a grocery store and I see something. I think in HR and in other fields, we need to be better at the structured data, doing the statistics, doing the analysis, doing predictive analytics, getting great insights from the data. But we also have to be disciplined around unstructured data. I'll give an example, two examples. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the privilege of knowing John Hoke. He's the head of R&D at Nike, 600 people reporting to him. He has a lot of data around athletic um, performance and shoes and style and colors and how to improve performance through athletic wear. He's got structured data. But he says, once a quarter, I go visit a city and wander around. And I say, what do you do? He said, I just wander. I go to New York City and I go to Central Park and I wander at 6 a.m. And I watch people as they exercise. I go to I go to London and I go to the eye. I go to Beijing and I walk along the river. I go to where people are and I go to health clubs and I just observe. And he said, I don't have anything I'm really looking for, but I'm looking to see something that doesn't fit for me. Hmm. I'll give a second example. A few a, a while ago, I had a privilege to do a plant tour. There were a group of us doing a plant tour. You had the general manager of the plant. You had the president of the company. We did a plant tour. At the end of the two, and by the way, it's one of those incredible things. Whenever there's outsiders doing a plant tour, it's clean and people are dressed well. Hmm. And we knew all that stuff. Hmm. So we did a tour and people did their little presentations about their, their uh, Six Sigma quality. They were great presentations. But at the end of the tour, we sat down in a room and the man I was with, again, he had more insight than me. He looked at the president of the company and the general manager and he said, you have a problem. And they said, oh, we thought it was a great tour. And he said, Mm. in two hours, you didn't go offline and talk to an employee one-on-one and Mm. none of them came up and approached you. There's not this feeling uh, in a a normal setting, the plant manager and the president – They'd go and say, Judy, how are you? How's the kids? How's 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 retirement coming? And and somebody would come chat with you and you'd have this kind of uh, bon, bon vivant discussion in two hours. I didn't see one of them. Mm. You know what? That's not in a spreadsheet. I think we need leaders and HR people who become anthropologists, not just analysts, but anthropologists who can see and feel what's not there. 
And that's also a discipline around information. So top circle, you win in the world we, in which we live. HR mm -hmm. creates value in that world. Second circle, we provide structured and unstructured information. Third circle, technology can be an enabler to both of those kinds of information. Interesting. I think one thing that you're spot on, and, and I'm, I'm talking from my technologist background. So I talk to almost, so I, I, I uh, normally go to uh, graduating classes and addressing them. Uh, and one of the things that I, I, I tell them, and these are data scientists uh, coming out of this, these great schools. I said, do you know what? Data science has the biggest problem. That's human problem. And I think you are pointing out very beautifully. So whatever is shows up on spreadsheet might not be, uh, it might be undercutting or missing out the entire experience that's out there because data could be as biased as the designer of, of, of those surveys, right? So I said that it's, it's your job as, as a steward for analytical thinking to go out and actually see things in action to, to get the human side of the equation. And I think you, are, you have beautifully pointed out two more sort of uh, examples of why it's so necessary to see that, yeah, there could be a whole world emerging that's not in your data that could, and interestingly, so I, I spoke to one of, the, one of the product managers at BlackBerry when, uh, during BlackBerry debacle, and he said, Vishal, you know what? We, get, we used to get um, raises all the time. I'm still hitting my numbers, but the market changed for us. Like our indicators were doing beautifully well, but the entire focus, so yes, I think uh, uh, kudos. Uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful thought, by the way, Dave. So we'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website, firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. I, I do appreciate that. So what do, you, what do you say to the data scientists who are, how do I say this graciously? They're trained as data scientists and scientists. They may not have in every case the greatest interpersonal skill set. I said that graciously. Yeah. So what do you say to them? And I say that with a sense of humor. What do you say to them that will help them get more sensitive to this? I call it unstructured data anthropology. You call mm -hmm. it art. What do you say to them to help them be more attuned to that? So I, I, I think so what I, I give them this, um, there was, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the author. So he has like a uh, hundred ways to feel uncomfortable about, and, and you just have to do one drill a day. Uh, and the idea is that you have to break your mold and talk to people, say hi, say, make an eye contact with someone. And the idea is that, uh, and typically I told them that once you are at a level where you, your decision matters, somehow you build and build a bubble of perception and bias um, around your perception. So it's very critical for you to uh, untangle yourself and make yourself more human and understand that you have power, but at the same point you have ears uh, and, and you should listen more and you should really talk and, and figure out what is what are you missing out in the model. So primarily it's, it's just the idea of that you should not miss out a, a major economic or social trend that would topple your company and companies relying more and more on you. And this is again, so when I talk to a technologist, it's the same anxiety that I have with these guys because the technologist, now businesses are relying more and more on technologies. Now, if a technologist has a bias, God save those companies, right? So the idea is how would they keep themselves stable when they know uh, a, plat a certain platform that, that, that they had worked 70 years on is most preferred. Uh, solution for any solution that they are given to how they keep themselves sane from that 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 mindset and it's hard it's it's, it's a continuous challenge there i really like what you said because i think there's a, somebody wrote a thing called the liability of success that hmm. when we've been successful in whatever field we're in we tend to repeat what we did to be successful we don't realize that the success was not what we did it's how what we did fit the environment in which we lived and so again, I go to that, when that environment is changing, the pace of change is fast, the political system is changed. What got us here won't get us there, that we've mm -hmm. got to adapt to that new environment. I, um, I find that absolutely critical. And it's also true with employees that I think in my father's generation, he worked for the US government for 30 years. He took a job and he stayed at the job. You know, that's not going to be my children's, our children's mm -hmm. generation. 
it's not even our generation. I mean, there aren't going to be a lot of people that take a job and just, oh, I'm, I'm loyal to the company forever. So we have to get leaders who can create organizations that engage people about what matters to them. That change is going on in all parts of our life, including technology. Interesting. Very well said, Dev. Uh, so let's let's talk about the. I think we are we are on the analytics uh, uh, of the conversations. So let's 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 talk about that a bit. From your vantage point, when you, when it when you talk to organizations and 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 you look at how they are using data or, or uh, analytics in their decision making, what is your comfort level of their maturity that you are seeing nowadays? Like, how mature are these organizations today? Uh, it depends on how we define maturity. If maturity mm. is what we've done in the past, they're doing well. I think there's four stages of analytics, and and it's really about information. I don't think it's analytics per se. I think it's information. Stage one, at least in my field in HR, is a scorecard. I wrote a book with two great authors in the 90s called The HR Scorecard. Today, if I wrote that book, I should be shot. It is not about an HR scorecard. I mean, that's measuring HR for HR. How many people did we hire? How many people went through training? That's not the issue at all. Stage two is insights. That's where you get the big data sets and you say, let's go look at a, a big data set and identify Project Oxygen, the, the things managers need to do. And I think those insights are helpful. Stage three is intervention. What can we do to intervene and what's the innovation that we can do? So should we hire people right out of college or should we hire more mature people? Should we send people to uh, one day training or multiple day training? Should we hire people from top universities out of Boston where there's the greatest universities in the world or should we hire the top people from second tier universities? Whole lot of research intervention. And stage four is business impact. I think most of the HR work I see is at stage one, two, and three. We are doing mm. HR scorecards and dashboards. We're starting to get insights and say, oh, look at the insight I've got. And then people go, well, that's really interesting. So what do I do with that? Stage three is intervention. That's better. And I think you got to get to stage four, which is business impact. How will I get a customer today and tomorrow to have a better experience with my company? I can measure net promoter score. That's great. Hmm. But what can I do in the company that will increase that net promoter score? That's the impact. And until we get to that, competencies. Oh, everybody's gaga. We got to get competencies. My question is, good, you've got a leadership model with 10 competencies. Tell me the relative impact of those 10 competencies on customer satisfaction and customer purchase. The work I've been doing is on an on, uh, investor. We now have a leadership capital index. It isn't the competencies of leaders. It's how much they give investors confidence, not competence, but confidence in future earnings. And you know what? That shows up in a price earnings ratio. And that's the business impact of what we're developing. And I'm hoping that that S curve, and I love your, you've referred to S curves in your work. <laughs> I think the S curve of impact is probably 20 to 30% up the curve. Hmm. Scorecards were 70, 80 percent up. Insight were 50, 60 percent. Intervention were 40 percent. But I think the business impact, we haven't yet reached the peak of that S-curve. Interesting. So if, if I'm an organization right now and, and I am more um, gut-based uh, organization and I've heard a lot about this um, this thing called decision-based systems and all that and, and, and data-driven businesses and all. So now... Um, if I need to design my HR, like what are what do you suggest as a couple of initial thoughts or initial sort of uh, actions that I could take to get myself into more um, structured and more more sort of data driven um, HR sure. uh, than, than I than I used to? Let me take you through three or four steps. Step one: hmm. um, What does winning look like in our marketplace? What are the hmm. uh, metrics and outcomes? Is it around customer, around investor, around winning? Number two. Hmm. In order to make that winning happen, because the, in the statistical model and a regression, those are my outcome variables. Mm. There are three things HR brings to the table, talent, leadership, and organization. Mm. How critical is talent to winning? How critical is leadership? How critical is organization? Number three, let's begin now to put some evidence around each of those. In mm. the talent space, what are some things we could do that would drive our ability to win? 
how does that affect who we hire? Do we hire for technical skill or cultural fit? And the cultural fit is what it takes to win in the marketplace. And talent, what does that mean for developing our people? What does that mean for engaging our people? What does that mean in the talent space? In leadership, what should our leaders know and do so that investors have confidence in us? This leadership capital index stuff is just fascinating because we can now say, if the investors look at your leadership team and see these things, they'll give you an increased stock price. I care about that. Organization, what do we have to do to build the right capabilities and culture that enable us to win in that marketplace? Now at that first level, again, is, is the outcomes that we care about. The second level is the theory of the case, talent, leadership, and organization. The third level is where the evidence comes in. Where can we have the most investment that will drive that impact? Wow, <clears throat> that's interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing that. So, yeah. one thought that I definitely want your perspective on, and I'm 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 actually uh, uh, building up courage to ask you. So, uh, this is what I see a lot in 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 my side of the world. So, appifying workforce right now. I call it appifying workforce. So, right now, business units are now like we we know this is there used to be central units now. Uh, Every every business concept team they build a team around it. They build sort of they they get they hire a few marketing guys. They hire a few finance like all these shadow groups that, that that these companies create. Rarely I hear about a shadow HR that someone is creating that's aligning with these business units and HR like for so these are like micro companies within companies that are hopefully achieving an objective. What's your perspective on that? That how like is 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 the is is this even possible to have an appified HR aligned to my appified use case of business uh, within a business? Say that word again. An appified. I didn't understand the word. So it's 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 appifying. It's apt. Like it's it's like apps. So okay. I I have a concept. I am building a team around this concept, uh, and and all these shadow groups support that business that business idea, uh, and and businesses are getting appified. Um, so what's, what's your take on like uh, these HR and we can call it hyper distributed, hyper distributed as well. Uh, for, for if yeah, that's I term. really appreciate that. Again, I'm so sorry to your listeners. Uh, listening to somebody cough is gross. Watching <laughs> no, them cough okay. is even grosser. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's okay. I think I'm, I'm, I'm feeling guilty of, of putting you through this by the way. So. <laughs> no, this isn't putting me through. This is a highlight of my day. Um, I love this discussion. I have a friend who teaches IT technology. Hmm. A student comes in and says, I've got the latest app that will change the whole world, hmm. that is going to change the way we live, and I'm, I'm going to be the next Stephen Jobs. Hmm. My friend looks at this new student, and he says, and the, and, the, and the student says, what should I do? What should I do? And my friend looks at the student, and he says, take a course in knowing how to code. <laughs> Learn the basics. Yeah. Now, I think I, you'll tell me if that's true or not in technology, because I think sometimes we see these superficial ideas that are like an onion, that when you peel them down, there's no substance. I think in HR, the, the apps need to go through a f series of phases. One, you got to get the app around the right stuff. Mm -hmm. Am I tracking? Am I measuring? And it's not just doing today's job more efficiently. That's not what we need apps for. We, I get two or three emails a week with the latest, greatest app that will save the HR world. And I go, give me a break. I, I don't need an app that will <laughs> save the world. Um, I need innovation, and I get a lot of innovation around the, the apps and the data. But what I think I really need is apps that will help me bring digital information and unstructured information into the company to help me make more business impact decisions. Hmm. How do we do that? How do we access information that helps us win in the marketplace? How does an investor access information? And these are not easy questions. Hmm. I'm an investor. I'm going to invest in, I pick an industry. I pick uh, tourism. It's a, hmm. it's a growth industry or lodging. I've got 10 companies that are all financially stable. I'm going to invest $100 million how do I disproportionately make the investment so that I don't go 10, 10, 10, 10? Well, I look at their finances. I look at their strategy. Can I in HR give you information about leadership mm. and organization that causes me to invest not in all 10, but in four and not in 25, 25, 25, but 50, 30, 10, 10. That's the information we in HR should be collecting. 
that will have an impact. And I could not, I could do investor or I could do customer. How do I begin to get that information? Both structured and unstructured. Another quick anecdote. Uh, a bank hmm. is making loans to small medium enterprises, which is the growth area for any economy. Here's what they've discovered. We don't want to just give you money to grow your business. That's part of us. We'll give you a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollar loan. But if you're a small medium enterprise, we will also commit to you four days or four two day workshops once a quarter. Hmm. We will bring together 50 of those small medium enterprises in which we've invested our economic capital. And in the first quarter, we're going to do a two day workshop on strategy and customers. How do we take our knowledge about strategy and customers in this big bank and help you do it? In the second quarter, two day on technology that gives you information. The third quarter, two days on managing finances in a more structured and disciplined way or operations. Fourth quarter, two days on HR. Here's the insight. The HR team built those four two-day workshops as a way to get unstructured information about small, medium enterprise requirements, as a way to help those small, medium enterprises be more successful. To me, that's great HR work because mm -hmm. it's linked to the success of these small, medium enterprises. We don't just give you money, economic capital. We give you knowledge and skills that help you grow. And then the HR team who designed this eight-session workshop got the high potentials in customers, IT, finance, and HR to design and deliver the workshop. So it was a high potential experience inside the company. It was a win for the small medium enterprises. And, and it was a source of data about what's next in the marketplace. That's the kind of HR work where I think we in HR can really help businesses be more successful. Interesting, interesting. Fascinating, by the way. So one thing, um, uh, let's talk about, say, a, a very Lefina, very, very early startup uh, that, that's coming out. What is what should be their strategy towards HR? Like what is the, what, what is in HR to them? Uh, if, if you can if help understand uh, for those folks. Yeah, I think um, really early startups and, and numbers are always scary, but I'm not mm -hmm. afraid to put a number on it until you have 100 people. The head of the, the head of HR is the head of the company. Mm -hmm. And I would say to a, a friend of mine who's starting a company, your talent decision and your organizational culture are the things that will make or break your company. When you have 20, 30 people in a company and you hire badly, mm -hmm. you can't afford it. If a big company like IBM hires somebody badly, they could live with it. You can't afford it. You've mm -hmm. got to take the lead on that because the people you bring in will be your company. And early on in that company, you begin to create a culture. You begin to create a set of norms around how are we seen in the marketplace? What are we trying to deliver? And until you get probably 180 to 100, 120 people, don't bring in an HR person. Then when you bring in the HR person, make sure they have incredible business savvy, that they're not there to burden you. They're there to relieve you of some of the burdens of hiring and the administrative things you've got to do. So you as the business leader are the head of HR. I gave an exam hmm. when I was teaching MBA students, and I haven't taught MBA students for some time. Final exam. Hmm. Who has primary accountability and responsibility? Who has primary accountability and responsibility for the HR issues, talent, leadership, and organization in a company? So who has primary accountability and responsibility for HR in a company? A, line manager. B, head of HR. Hmm. C, it's shared. D, the consultant, and E, I don't care, I'm going into finance. It was one of my favorite <laughs> multiple choice questions. Almost everybody marks C. It's shared between head of HR and line manager, and I marked it wrong. Uh, I think the primary accountability is the line manager, the general manager of the business. He or she is the one that has to manage talent, leadership, and organization. HR becomes architects. We become ambassadors. We become anthropologists. We become facilitators, advisors. I think the same is true in IT. Uh, IT function is not the owner of information. Mm -hmm. I think the business leader is the one that can use that, ultimately accountable to use that information to help his or her business be successful. Interesting, interesting. So so, so what you're suggesting is, so their KPI would be how, how efficient you are at delivering uh, the outcome. That would be their... Um, the HR's role or, or 
their gauge. Yes. How well do you build the infrastructure that enables talent leadership and organization to create value? The same in IT. I think IT's job is to build data warehouses, data apps, software systems that ultimately deliver value to the business because that's where it is we're really trying to work. So I think well said. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's that's beautifully put. So uh, one other thing that that uh, and and this is I'm coming. I'm wearing my technologist hat that that I'm very anxious about. And I recently had this conversation with one of the one of the telco uh, telco leaders, uh, their, their, their chief learning officer. And and he 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 sort of said, Vishal, you know, when shelf life of a skill is shorter than the amount it takes to teach them or or or, or uh, reskill them or skill them, everything goes out of the window. So right now, and his anxious his anxiety point was, we are getting in in the market where uh, skills are skills shelf lives are getting shorter, but on the other side, uh, time to equip people or folks uh, to exploit that skill. And and take a, and and get an advantage. It's going. Uh, that is still not optimal. Uh, it's still sort of slowly uh, improving, but but not at that pace. How is how is uh, what's your vantage point? That how anxious is HR towards? Like, are you seeing the same thing from your angle? Uh, that this is a pro yeah. problem. I uh, I mean, Gordon, the the Moore's law. Every mm -hmm. eighteen months, we have to have fifty percent faster. I've been talking to some people in high tech. That's that's now times 10. I mean, things are mm. moving very quickly. I think there's a half-life of knowledge. When is 50% of what I know out of date? Now that I'm older, I can look back in my career. For me, it's somewhere between two and two and a half years. And this is the anchor. Mm. I teach programs at the University of Michigan, and I have presentations because that's part of what teaching is. Mm. When do I need 50% new slides? And it's about every two to two and a half years. By the way, that's not easy to do. Um, I see faculty teaching the case studies they taught 20 years ago and still using their old slides. So, <laughs> so in that world, one of the issues that I think we're finding in HR, who do you bring into the company? And mm -hmm. one of the criteria people you bring in or promote in the company is learning agility. We have lots of words for it. Resilience, grit, curiosity. But it's our... Are we attracting and bringing in people who have the ability to continually learn and unlearn what they do? I think that's a real challenge because you can't train them. You can't train somebody who's not oriented to learning. Mm. The other side, I think, is, and this is a tricky one. So who's responsible for those employees who are not able to adapt in your telco company? Mm. Uh, technology is going to change work. It's not going to do away with work. It's going to change the skills necessary. Mm. Who's responsible for those employees? I personally believe the employees are ultimately responsible for themselves. Mm. And we in HR and elsewhere need to tell the employees, we are committed to hiring you. We will give you opportunities. We'll give you to learn, to grow. But you've got to be serious. And serious means you've got to be willing to commit as an agent for yourself to unlearn and learn new material. And if you're not willing to do that, we we as a company can't make that happen for you. You have to take ownership for the and accountability for that. That's a very tough point of view. But right. but I think I don't know who's responsible for folks who are not willing to be curious, learning, resilient, growth mindset, whatever term you want. I don't think the company can take away and replace that opportunity or that obligation. No, I think you you have a you have a very like you have a fabulous point. So I remember um, talking to so this is this was one of the chief architects at one of the Fortune hundred Fortune hundred company, and and he got like employee of the year award for three years uh, uh, for his technological contribution to the company, and he was the project chain he was let go and then he was looking for the shift in the career or he was looking for his next gig. And he reached out to me and I took his resume and I talked to one of the cutting edge company in the technology that he was working on and said, hey guy, make sure this guy is not cut loose. Like make sure you get him quickly because he won't stand. And the company told me, Vishal, the technology he was working on was obsolete. It's 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 old school, it's whatever. And I went back to this guy, say, hey, you, he said, but my HR, my, my, my leadership told me I'm at the top of my game. I trusted them. Now I so you have a you are actually raising a very interesting point. Who should own uh, the responsibility of being outdated uh, when you're working with a company? I'm trusting the company with my hours, hoping that they keep that that they 
they keep me at the top of the skills but um, uh, or or is it is it or there is a responsibility on me to make sure that i stay on the top and and not get in tune with the with the corporate hype that hey i what am you, the top what do you, what do you think what do you think vishal what do you think i i think i think hr should take some some responsibility i think because anyways as a business I like and i i'm i'm talking as an entrepreneur now i want in my business that hr i i even for my business to exist i should know what cutting edge technology is out there that i should be using right i because as as a business i want to be cutting edge uh, at the top of the game and i am trusting somehow my human resource folks to take care of the humans and the resources right and their resources so i think that i would be paranoid um as a startup i don't know the the vantage point of of fortune 50 or fortune 100 company that what what their leadership would think but uh, but i think that i would share the blame on that that um i failed this guy because um, i should have um told him that he's working on obsolete things somehow you know i i i share that and it's an interesting dilemma because hmm. the company has some responsibility but so does the employee <clears throat> i'm coaching there's a local university big university 35000 students and they're a public university where i live and here's the deal they've made with students we will be inclusive what that means is every student who wants to come here will have an opportunity to come mm-hmm. to the company we will we will make this a great workplace for you we mm-hmm. will be inclusive we'll we'll make it well-being we'll get a great work setting but you in turn have to be serious now mm-hmm. to the university it says to the student even if you don't have all the highest test scores we'll let you come and take remedial math and science but you've got to be serious if you don't pass those courses you're not going to continue as a student mm. let me go and and i think that's a fair deal cuz i don't think they say we'll 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 handicap you all the way through your degree i think to employees we say we will give you incredible opportunities to do work that's meaningful and learning and growth and have an impact but you have to be serious if the skill set you've got is going to be replaced through ai mm. we will give you an opportunity to learn a new skill but you've got to take the risk of learning that skill you've got to pay a price as well i think that's a conversation that's very difficult to have mm. um and and by the way i'm finding right now in fact i've been thinking the last 24 hours it is tough to be in hr because right. you're we in hr are getting pressure on that one we have to tell the employee your skills mm. the reason we hired you is going away because mm. of ai it's going away now we don't want to fire you but you've got the opportunity to learn a new skill we, hr also has the obligation and and in the me too movement in the sexual harassment mm. somebody comes in and reports a a, a grievance HR's got to treat that with incredible respect and act quickly. And when they don't, they're not doing their job. But on the other hand, HR's got to treat the person being accused with equal fairness. I've run into a couple of people recently that have been in a social media world. Once you're accused in a social media world of some dysfunctional behavior, that's the judge and jury. And HR's got to be mm. fair there as well. And so, what a diff HR's got to care about the people and about the organization. in fact we found in our research with these 30,000 people the thing that hr does that creates the most business value is navigate paradox mm. and i think in the last 10 minutes we've been talking about the paradoxes of hr who's responsible for employee development it's a paradox mm. it's the employee and the company who's responsible for justice in a company it's the employee and the manager are we long term are we short term are we top down bottom up net navigating those paradoxes becomes so demanding i think it's why hr is such a difficult job um and 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 it's not easy to navigate those we we should be worried about business results with investors we should also be worried about employee well-being mm-hmm. um jeff fefer if you haven't talked to him i think he's one of the most brilliant people has a new book that just got released or it's just coming out it's around physical well-being at companies and how many of the demands that companies are causing employees to be physically unwell mm. which is bad for both the employee and the company we've got to be aware of that as hr people 
How do you manage those paradoxes or navigate them? That's a tricky issue. I think you are spot on. I think you have um, very, I, I totally agree with you. I think even I feel so um, humbled after sort of getting into the HR talent analytics side of things that we are complicated people. Everyone is random, right? And then these folks are responsible for a lot of random, almost like every randomness in the, in the, in, in the corporation and somehow ensure that they they work in cohesion to get get something productive done so i think i i totally agree with you that it's a very very hard job um to to to, to get done and to justice to give justice to so now let's talk about um the future crystal ball of like what's what's your crystal ball perspective of the future of hr so we know that world is now more gigs we know there is a lot more Kleenex than uh, a mop uh, in, 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 in every household. We know that we are using, uh, we are getting more used to apps nowadays. So as a business, and this is, and this is, by the way, this is my anxiety point as well for, for anyone like working with companies who are very thickly engraved in culture. These companies, core competency is their culture, which they have built over a couple of hundreds of years, many of these companies. And now we're talking about um, gigifying workforce and, and, and sort of uh, appifying use cases. What is the future of HR uh, from your vantage point? Um, there's a great saying in French, and I, my French is not any good and my English is even worse, but plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more things change, the more they're the same. I think some of the future is the same. I think there's three things HR gives to a company, talent, competence, commitment, engagement of people, leadership, a subset of talent, the leadership, not just the top person, but the leadership capabilities of an organization and organizational capabilities, the, the ability to have an organization. Now, within those three, I think we're going to see changes and we could go to any of those. Within talent, I think we're going to see changes in the gig economy. I think we're going to see evolutions and HR's job again I had four criteria align with outside investors and customers innovate integrate and simplify has got to continue to innovate in that talent space the gig one of the things that HR is guilty of and I don't I'm not a data scientist I don't know if technology is guilty HR people love the uh, what's the word the uh, the 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 hot topic of the day they love mm. to get carried away by the latest whim uh, it's all about millennials. It's all about performance appraisal. It's all about this. And, and I think sometimes those whims start with great enthusiasm and then get woven into a more integrated picture. Um, and I think in the talent space, we're going to see evolution. Um, I think in the talent space, there's three things we're going to see that are stable. And, and I haven't even published this yet, but it's people in organizations need to have a set of belief, a purpose, mm. a meaning. And so I think that meaning is going to continue. Number two, they've got to have a way um, to become better. They've got to have a way to, to better their own skills. And third, they need to have a sense of belonging, a sense of community. So it's belief, become, and belong that I think we're going to see as the talent amplifiers. And you're a data scientist. I'll push a little bit on you. I think sometimes the technology that is so efficient and so exciting, the gig economy, the latest apps, it destroys the belonging. Mm. And there's some research lately that when people spend more than two hours or three hours looking at a screen a day, in a day, their ability to feel connection with other people gets less. I think we've got to manage belief, become, mm. and belong as part of talent. Now, I could do the same with leadership. I could do the same with mm. organization. But I think we want to begin in HR to maintain those three things, talent, leadership, and organization in a new world. And, uh, and then there's new innovations that we'll see in all of those. Interesting. Interesting. Um, thank you for, for, for sharing your, your perspective on that. So now I want to f spend a few questions on you, uh, on you. So in your journey so far, like what are one, one to three sort of uh, tenets of your success or that you attribute to what, what has helped you be where you are today and keep you sane. Um, so what are some of the things? Um, belonging. I'll go to that. Mm. I am so grateful mm. that my identity is not just tied to my profession. I have a 
wife of 40 years who has more patience and more endurance and more uh, giving than anyone I can imagine. <laughs> you just, she just yelled out at me, that's right. <laughs> um, and I think that sense of belonging um, is so key. I think it's also good sometimes to not take yourself too seriously. I think it's good mm. to go do hobbies where you don't have to do the best. I, I, I'm old now and I don't do it, but I used to play basketball every morning. Not because I was any good. I was the worst person there. And you know, sometimes that's good. You don't have to be the best. Just not take yourself too seriously. Um, and I think for me, some of the belonging, you know, I'll go personal, is my faith. I think mm. it's family and I think it's faith. And mm. whatever that faith is, it could be Jewish faith in the Torah. It could be Muslim faith in the Quran. For me, it happens to be Christian faith in, mm. in the Bible. I think that faith gives me an anchor um, where I kind of know what matters most to me. And, and so that's the belief set that, that helps me. Um, and then when things fail and they always fail, I think failure is a good thing. Uh, mm. if you learn from it, that faith and family in most cases will stick by me, um, mm. regardless of, of, of what I say or what I do, which is helpful. What, what works for you? What, what anchors your journey? Well, it's, it's curiosity. I think I'm, 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 I'm hunger for so much of stuff going on it's just just curious what why something is the way it is i uh, keep poking i think that's and and belief i think you you pointed out um, that's that's uh, one of the fabric uh, that i even i believe in very strongly that um, I, there's a purpose that i need to solve that purpose somehow so that keep me um, keep me going nice beautiful so um um let's talk about your favorite read uh, if you can share uh, with our with our listener and viewer you're, I'm going to give two answers that are kind of bizarre, but number one, my favorite read, given what I just said, is the Bible. I find, uh, I find scripture powerful, and, uh, and it's endured for thousands of years, and, and, and I think those meaning is important. Now, in the business world, I tend not to read books. I read authors, so I have probably half a dozen people, Ed Lawler. I mean, Ed Lawler could write almost anything. His latest book mm -hmm. on talent is very good. Jeff Pfeffer, what Jeff mm -hmm. writes is good. Linda Gratton, her whatever. I mean, these are people, Steve Kerr, Dick Beatty. I have probably a half dozen people, and I'm going to embarrass myself by not listing them all. If Martin <laughs> Seligman in psychology, whatever they write, they seem to have, it's not an event. They haven't written one book and, and, and made it happen, but they seem to have this curiosity and ability to capture ideas. So I, Marshall Goldsmith, I love whatever Marshall writes. It's going to be good. And uh, so I read probably a half dozen authors. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, that's really helpful. So that brings bring us to the end of the conversation, uh, Dave. So before we part ways, do you have um, do you have any closing remark for, for our listeners uh, who are thinking about future and want to future proof themselves? Do you have any, any, any thoughts uh, of wisdom for those guys? Uh, probably one of my best closing remarks is continue to listen to Vishal's programs because he's so <laughs> insightful. I, uh, I hope I said that well. No, I, I love the idea of curiosity. What's the half-life of my knowledge? Am I curious? Am I, am, I, am I testing myself? And you said that's one of your passions as well. Um, and the other is who's benefiting? Who's the beneficiary of what I'm doing? Because it's not about me. It's not about what I know. It's how what I know helps somebody else be better. So those would be my two uh, simple counsels. With that, thank you so much, Dave, for uh, for sharing your time with us. It was a ball. Uh, I learned a lot. I hope our audience will find it useful for them as well. Uh, very eye-opening. And, uh, uh, and thank you so much for being very candid and, and sort of... Uh, giving everything in a perspective that we all could understand. I think I, I love the way you lay, lay everything down for us uh, in a very simplistic way. So we can, and I think I told you do justice to your, your value system of uh, making things simplistic for sure. So thank you. Thank you. For, uh, and, and you're always welcome back on the show uh, to share your story and journey. However, we can help. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I hope I'm learning to post on LinkedIn. I'm posting on LinkedIn every Tuesday, new articles and blogs. So uh, what a privilege. And I hope we'll stay connected uh, both with you personally and with your audience. So thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah.
I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it Then I go into the booth feeling nervous Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a circle